All right, good morning and welcome. You've got Dustin Atwood here for the next hour. Hopefully we're going to talk about a hot button issue. If anybody's out buying new or used cars right now, you're in for a little bit of an awakening. I'm not going to say it's a rude awakening as long as you kind of are diligent as far as what your process is. But any of you that have driven by any new car lots, their uh, inventory is sparse to say the least. There is a huge shortage of chips out there is the main thing. And they're partially building some cars and trucks, vans, SUVs, sport utility, etc. But they can't complete them. So they can't ship them. They can't put them in production. And you and I can't go and buy one. So what has that done to the used car market? Well, it is on fire. I would say it rivals the cryptocurrency market at this point in time, which is a very volatile, volatile deal. And if you're uneducated in either one of those markets... You are going to pay the price. It's just the bottom line. And unfortunately, we see the consequences of those emotional decisions quite often. I had a car. It's been about three, maybe four weeks ago. It was brought in for an alignment. looked pretty decent. It was an older car. It was, I believe, a Toyota, if I remember right. And you could tell it had had some cosmetic damage, but nothing horribly bad until you brought it up on the alignment rack. Now, the alignment uh, tolerance, if you will, the amount of adjustment that we can do, that anybody can do, it's not just a we thing, is only, it has its limits, basically. So, we put it up there and immediately we could see that it had some some, uh, structural damage that I'm just not going to fix with an alignment. And so, I had to have that call to the customer. So, Uh, My technician brought it up there. I was working on another car close to him. He's like, hey, man, you got to look at this. So I made the call out to the customer and said, hey, we've got some things to talk about. You know, what do you know about this car? Well, we just bought it like two days ago. And so I had to explain, look, this is beyond what a normal process that we are going to do in order to get this car to drive straight safely and not wear tires. And immediately, you know, kind of the red flags, well, did I just waste and and essentially throw my $2,500 out the window? And that's really hard. I'm not the one to say that. You may be able to take this to a body and frame shop and get it pulled. But until you talk to that expert, which I am not, you're not going to know. Could this all have been prevented? Yeah, it, it absolutely could have. Had it been looked at and checked out and you found this out before the money changed hands. Now, this was a private party sale. I don't remember whether he told me it was Craigslist or Marketplace. doesn't matter. Um, But the bottom line is once it changes hands, you're pretty much locked into this deal, and you're going to have to ride it to the end. Whether you, quote, unquote, which was the customer's verbiage, had thrown the money out the window, um, or you're going to have to spend a significant amount of money on it in order to get it up to par. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to kind of give you an outline of cars that you definitely should look at and definitely shouldn't look at. I'm going to give you some caveats in there that, um, you know, there are certain cars that we as a company, A1 Custom Car Care, have developed some problem-solving solutions that you, a lot of times, if you buy the car right up front, you know, everybody talks about when you make a deal, you make your money on the purchase, and essentially what that means to me is you got to buy it right. If you overpay for it right out of the gate, you've already lost your money. 
if you're wanting to make a good savvy move, you got to buy it under the right terms right up front and then give you the leeway to deal with it in at, you know as needed. So, if there is a plagued car line or an engine transmission, if there's a known problem with a certain vehicle line, usually typically it's a model and a certain range of years and we'll talk about a few of those later today. If you have somebody savvy or you're savvy, however it is, if you uh, have those folks that have the skills and can rectify some of those engineered flaws in those systems, a lot of times you can get a smoking buy on a car line or, you know, make and model of a certain year that most people thumb their nose up and they're like, oh, those are all junk. And some of them are. I, I will talk about some of those, too. But you can get a deal on one because the market's flooded with broken ones of X, Y, or Z, and then find somebody that knows how to make the improved repair, and then you've got a smoking deal on a car. That's something that I've done for years. You uh, have heard me talk forever. Um, any of you out there that are familiar with the 5.4 3-valve engine that is pretty much from 04 to 2010 now 08 there was a third generation that made that a significantly better engine but i have gotten many 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 good deals on those over the years made the upgrades and drove them for hundreds of thousands of trouble-free miles and then still been able to resell them as a good quality pre-owned vehicle and i'll give you a few instances one of the very first ones that i ever got was an 04 which was the very first generation that's always a bad uh, decision as a consumer to buy the first generation of anything, whether it's a computer, camera, phone, automobile in this case, because they have done some testing on it and they have worked out some of the bugs, but now you are the second phase of that testing. Now, some of it will be covered under recall and warranty, but the majority of it long-term, because they're going to test it for 9 to 12 months put it in production, and then put it out for sale. So after that 9 to 12 months, which, you know, for most people that's less than 20,000 miles, you become the second round of beta testing on that product, and you really explore where the rest of the flaws come from. So if in the beginning things are going good, um, you know, they put it in production, then you get to find it, and a lot of times, unfortunately, you and I as consumers – Get to foot the bill on it. So I'm trying to ask you to avoid some of those. Back to my main deal. So I had an 04, uh, 2004, which is the new body style, first generation 543 valve. It made it less than 150,000 miles, and the engine had enough. And it was strictly due to how it was manufactured that there's a significant defect in the oiling system. This is pretty common knowledge for a lot of you out there. At this point in time, um, the gentleman was done with it. He didn't want to make the financial investment in it, and I purchased the truck. Um, I went ahead and did a complete engine replacement in it. I drove it to uh, at least another 100,000 miles and was very dependable. My, Me and the kids made many trips in it, lots of towing expeditions, worked this truck pretty hard. Did some other things, suspension, just general wear items in this case, brakes, tires, etc., uh, but at the point that I was ready to sell it with probably 270 on it, maybe 280, uh, it's been a year or two, that truck brought every dollar that I gave for it, including the cost of repairs, and I had drove it for probably five to six years, and like I said, used the truck, but it was very well taken care of. 
So I drove it that whole time for basically, you know, maybe a few parts here or there because I got all of my investment right back out of it because I was able to buy it right on the front side, make the necessary upgrades to make that a dependable vehicle when other people turn their nose up. So that's where that deal comes from. Another, just this happened here in the last couple of weeks, my service truck, which is our, our company equipment that I run from store to store with, was an uh, 09 F250 543 valve. You'll see a consistent uh, path here. I think we got it at 150-ish, if you will. It had a little over 300 on it. Um, it didn't quite bring exactly what we gave for it, but we were in the ballpark. And the first person that came and looked at it purchased it. They knew and were able to see the history of how it's been cared for, how well the truck ran and drove, and it spoke for itself. So that investment basically continues to roll over and over and over instead of being in the situation where I see a lot of folks to where it is in such disarray at the end of you know whatever time period you've owned it that it's literally worth nothing and it goes to the scrapyard. So you get no return on investment. So you need to look out for some of those deals. If you can buy them, on the bottom side of the cost evaluation, do some work and know that up front and have that budget for the work up front. That's how you're going to get a good deal on a used car. Um, if you find one that somebody has all the maintenance records, you know, it's cataloged in the glove box or in a binder. I do see those come through the shop from time to time. It's a rarity, but they are out there. Most of the time, the folks have to know the people or the family. There's a history of where that vehicle has been and came from. You're going to pay top dollar for those, and I uh, I don't begrudge that or recommend against it. If you can buy it in that kind of condition, one way or the other, you're still coming out good. What I have problems with and what we're mainly advising against is not doing your due diligence, buying one that has known or identifiable problems, and paying top dollar for that one. And that's what happens a lot. I've talked many, many times about some of the horror stories where the car looks smoking good from outside, interior, stereos banging. Um, and I had this one just the other day. It was actually a Toyota product. Uh, came in, had some exhaust needs, had just been purchased, raised it up, inspected the exhaust system, and the body and frame underneath had holes rotted in it that you could fit your fist in. That's not a good purchase. And so those items are those catastrophic uh, decisions that really are very, very costly. And I want you out there and your family and your loved ones to avoid some of those situations because I guarantee as slick as this little SUV looked, they paid top dollar for it not knowing any better. So it's it's one of those deals you have got to be informed. You cannot go in and just make those large purchases. Well, I say you can't. It's a free country. You can do as you please. There are consequences when that happens, and I hope that you are not one of those folks out there that do that. So we need to step into our first break. When we come back, I'm going to roll through some of my do's and don'ts of models and years, and you'll see a little bit of a theme here of what you should purchase and look at and what you should avoid. We'll be right back after this. All right, welcome back. You've got Dustin Atwood here in the studio. The very hot used car market, and new car market for that matter. The lack of new cars are what um, is driving the used car market to be so hot. So as the market's hot, it increases your risk factor. 
So let's start on a positive note. And you'll see a theme here. As I look at the years that I've got listed down here, um, and we'll talk about why that is, but there was some major technology changes in the mid to late 2000s, and those cars were very well refined. So you're always at a balance of whether you buy an older, older car. You know, you know, do I go 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Right now, the availability of parts is a big deal. And the older you go, the more risk that you get that you won't be able to find parts for it. So I really, um, you know, at this point in time, if you're early 2000s, you're kind of starting to fall off and we're seeing some problems finding those parts. So just be mindful of that. One of my very first ones that I always recommend out there is several of the Toyota family. And, you know, I would love to have a domestic one up here. I truly, truly would. But in reality, how much are our big, you know, what you normally consider as domestic actually domestic? So, unfortunately, there's a lot of overseas ones that are actually made here in the States that are at least putting some gas in our tank. And we're not just sending all that overseas or across border lines of the hard-earned tax dollars you and I work for. So... That was a little bit of a soapbox, but I'm sincere when I say that. So you really don't know what is domestic anymore and what is not. So Toyota has a lot of manufacturers here in the States, and I appreciate that. Now, their motivation was probably to get around some of the tariffs, but, hey, you know, it's a big uh, global game, and they're playing it. So uh, as far as dependability and performing and getting you a good return on your investment, typically, and don't buy these blind just because they're on the list. This list um, I harvest from U.S. News Best Cars. And there were some on there I absolutely disagreed with, and we'll talk about those. And then some on there I definitely do. So Toyota RAV4 is a small SUV, very good vehicle. And what do I consider that it makes it a good vehicle or a dependable vehicle? The honest answer is, will it tolerate being neglected? Because that's really what uh, comes down to whether a vehicle lasts and performs for many, many years, or it you know gets to be such a problem you just ride it off. And a lot of times your Toyota RAV4 Highlander uh, Sienna, which so your RAV4's micro SUV Highlander is a little bit midsize, and then you have your Sequoia, which is a large, and, and I need to talk about that a little bit. And then you have your Sienna, which is your your minivan, of course. All of those are really good options. The Sequoia is going to be a large. The fuel economy is not near what it should be. It will hold a lot more folks. They have a very expensive braking system on them. And the ABS and master cylinder for the brakes are all integrated. And they do fail more often than not. And they're very expensive to fix them. So we've had many, many of them in over the over the years at the shop. And I have seen consistently, we have done some repairs on them, but most people ride them off because they don't want to make that investment in those vehicles. So buy those. If I buy them right up front, basically, if I get a deal on one, I'm okay with that. The RAV4, Highlander, and Sienna, those you're probably going to pay pretty good premium for because they're probably still in pretty good shape. So definitely a good one. Uh, the next one on my list is the Hyundai, uh, Hyundai Genesis. It's a midsize sedan really kind of overlooked. It's not got a lot of flashy style. I mean, they're okay. 
They, in my opinion, the later models really kind of strive to look like the Mercedes, but with a lot less of a price tag, not less of a inflated price for a vehicle that isn't worth it, in my opinion. The Genesis brings a decent used price with uh, pretty good dependability, to be honest. And even when you need to make some repairs on it, you know, we can get OE or factory level parts and not break the bank. So that's a decent option if you're looking for a sedan or a daily commuter or even a, even a uh, traveling car for a, a small family. That's a decent one. Let's jump into some of them I want you maybe not to look at. Um, and you'll see a theme here as well. So um, they identified that Genesis, the, the probably one of the best ones was 09, somewhere around those areas. Like I said, mid to late 2000s, there wasn't a lot, a lot of gasoline direct injected car, which is a new technology that came in probably 2017, 2015, somewhere in there and has gone mainstream, which they're still refining and that will be a good technology. But these cars, the port fuel injected kind of uh, theme has been very, very good. And these cars are very sought after, even with two or 300,000 miles on them. So keep that in mind. Um, the number one, and I got this off of uh, Motor Biscuit. That was the website that I pulled this one from. I have no idea what Motor Biscuit's about, but their list was pretty comprehensive, and I agreed with most of it. Uh, but the Chrysler Town & Country minivan was one of the very first ones. Um, definitely plagued with some electrical issues. Not the greatest transmission I've ever seen. Engine's not bad. I don't mind working on those engines. They have been pretty robust, uh, pretty dependable without a lot of uh, major, major problems. Uh, but that definitely, the electrical system transmission is the weak point in that car. So um, good for the family, but buying a family car such as that secondhand, you have to be very, very uh, picky because a lot of those are geared for multiple young children. I can't tell you how many um, spilled formula bottles that I have had to, you know, work around where they have gotten and corroded part of the wiring harness that runs through the back of the car, uh, spilled juices, all kinds of funness in the back of those cars. So they're geared for, you know, young families for the most part. So if you're buying one of those used, you need to be mindful of kind of where it's at. Uh, the very next one is one that is near and dear to my heart. A lot of you out there probably think that I am a European import vehicle hater. You're not totally wrong. Um, the 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 number two on their list was the BMW X5 SUV. Uh, there's a lot of those out there in the used market. Those vehicles will not allow you to neglect them, not one little bit, because they will leave you walking in a hurry. And they're very, very expensive. Parts take a long time to get. Uh, there typically is not what I would say just a simple repair. Because they have introduced so much plastic in manufacturing of this particular, um, a lot of BMWs or European vehicles, when you take that plastic apart, a lot of times you can't reassemble it. And why does that matter? Well, if I have to disassemble multiple layers of things, to get to a failed component, I usually have to replace all those with new components um, until I get down to the failed or broken component. Because if I try and reuse them, the fitment is no longer the same and I get coolant leaks, I get 
vacuum and, and fitment issues. So definitely not something. And I see, unfortunately, a lot of folks buy these because they're quote unquote good deal on the used market and they have not been cared for. They have not been maintained up to any kind of a standard. They're barely moving under their own power and you get a good deal and you spend all your capital or all your money on putting yourself in this vehicle, which is very stylish. I don't want to take that away from them. I mean, they're a smoking looking uh, a vehicle. They really do a good job uh, looking good. But you're you're not looking that cool if you're on the side of the road or if it's hooked to a tow truck or its entire life it sits in your driveway or at a shop trying to get repaired to where you can take advantage and drive this some. So typically that's something I definitely do not recommend, and you'll see some more of those on my list. Uh, we are going to shift to the next one that I do not recommend you get, which is a Ford Fiesta. Uh, that is definitely what I consider an economy or a disposable car. They put those uh, engines and transmissions, which is the main flaw of that vehicle, in more than just the Fiesta. They were so bad, I can remember, uh, I think it was Roper Ford in the Joplin area, that they didn't even want to sell them, but they had all this inventory. So when they very first came out, they uh, they paired it with an F-150. If you come down and buy an F-150, we'll give you a Fiesta. They were so proud of it that they're just like, hey, here it is. And those cars have not fared well. They just ha- And the biggest flaw is they have what's called a dual-mass clutch setup, which basically kind of hybrid of a torque converter and a, a manual transmission clutch that was built together uh and i believe that's six speed transmission it's not actually the trans that's such an issue uh but the seal the input seal leaks into that clutch area and when you you can have wet clutches on motorcycles and different stuff like that but this car is not designed to be a wet clutch it's So when you get gear lube or grease or transmission fluid all over that clutch, it shudders and, 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 and slips really bad, and it overheats. I've actually pulled them out, and you see the, the really nasty bluing of the vehicle and, or of the clutch area from all the excess heat, and it's a shudder as you take off. So definitely don't want to get into one of those. That's not a good deal by any means. What do you want to get into? Our next one that I do recommend you look at is the Honda Fit. So that would be kind of its counterpart or its competition in that compact car market. Um, It's a little bit less of a disposable car. I have had some issues and some significant repairs on those. But for the most part, they're a much more premium dependable vehicle that honda fit is so um, i would definitely if i was going to pick one or the other i would strongly urge you to the fit what's another one we should look at let's go into the mid-size car market um that would be probably late 2000s anywhere from 07 to probably 12 on the fit by the way uh the 2010 toyota avalon that would be more of a i don't want to say a grandma car because i think they're pretty cool but You'll find a lot of older people that have the Avalon. It's typically a little bit more luxurious than your Toyota Camry or Corolla, which I strongly recommend all of those. It's kind of like that Toyota list that I gave you earlier. 
um, with the SUVs, but this is more the sedan model. So if you want a little bit of styling, a little bit of extra luxuries, if you will, the Avalon does a great job. Typically, it's a V6 setup. Cost of ownership's not going to be too bad. Um, and definitely one you need to look at. You're probably going to pay, I would say, premium price for one. It's going to be on the upper end of whatever the evaluation used car-wise is, but gr a great, great option. So if we um, shift gears to some of them in that same category that I don't recommend, um, the next one would be the Volkswagen Jetta. Uh, yes, I'm hating on some more European import cars. I'm not totally against Volkswagen. They do a couple things that I really like. Um, but the Jetta portion of it, um, they've really struggled. You know, they had the big emissions debacle where they had to buy back a bunch of those cars because they faked the IM240 or they skewed the programming basically. And, and they, you know, if I guess if you're not cheating, you're not racing. But, you know, they, they got busted. So definitely don't go that route. Definitely go more that Toyota Avalon. The next one that is in that same category that I do recommend and I'm a big fan is the Ford Fusion. That's more of a mid-sized car. You can get it in a 4 or V6 option. As a used car option, that's definitely one that I think is a good, good fit um, to be a candidate when I'm looking for cars. I would love to slide a General Motors into this category, but a lot of their mid and compact cars really just haven't held up very good. Um, I'm not totally hating on GM. I've got some stuff that I think are, are coming up. Um, about the only one that I really would kind of throw my hat in the ring that I like that might fall in that category is the Pontiac G8. Or if you can find an older Grand Prix that's still in good shape. The G8 was a really, uh, you, they're not as common. Very, very stylish. Uh, I think I aired some of my... Uh, frustration with GM, I guess, about getting rid of Pontiac as a division. Pontiac, in my opinion, was one of their more stylish and trendy uh, divisions, if you will. They kept Buick because of the international sales, which I can understand. It's just not got that same flair that Pontiac had. So if you can find some of the G8s, the, the GXP trim package, those come in a four-door sedan. As far as like a family or a grocery getter, those cars are smoking cool. If you're really, really lucky, there were some very, very rare ones that actually had some V8 options. We had a, a young man in, I think it was last year about this time, he didn't have air conditioning. And it was very expensive because of the car. It was harder for me to get parts. I actually had to get some of the, the lines made. And we got him cool and in good shape. But he loved that car just as much as I love Pontiacs as well, by the way. And so we put out the extra effort to make that happen for him because that car was super cool. He loved it. He wanted to put some into it because really you can't replace those very easily. You really are going to have to travel and probably pay premium dollars. So to give GM a little bit of love, I don't mean to just be a hater on them, um, you know, that Pontiac setup, if you can run onto those, would be a good option. My other option in this is, uh, I don't know if I've got enough time to get in. I'll talk about my next option after the break when we come back. All right, welcome back. You've got Dustin Atwood here in the studio. Um, definitely got, got some feedback through the break here of a near and dear friend most of you guys know out there. 
Um, a lot of our friends and family will go through the pre-purchase inspection. Whether you bring it to us or you bring it to somebody else, just have somebody look at it. If you've got a car person in your family that's legit and good, please ask for their help. If they were a mechanic 40 years ago, and I say this very with a lot of love in my heart, the industry's changed so much, and I've had folks come in, and I still will have it. Well, you know, I used to be a mechanic, and that's awesome. Someday I'm going to be saying that to somebody else, I'm sure. But if you don't have somebody that keeps up on what's going on just because they did it 15, 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, they have gotten out of touch of what it is they need to be looking for so they protect you. And at the end of the day, that's what our job is. Whoever you choose and trust with that decision to be your informed advisor, that they are looking out for you. Now, if they don't know, it's not intentional that they don't know. They're not going to give you advice on something that they just aren't educated about. And that's really the difference of what I'm talking about here today is throughout our three locations, I have a master certified technician, if not multiples at each location. Our service advisors continue online training as well. And we live, eat, and breathe every single day. Even before I go to bed at night, I'm still doing further education on what's going on at the very cutting edge of the industry. That's what separates whether you get that good experience and good advice from whether you get that outdated advice, okay? So as you're looking at something, make sure that you're informed because not knowing doesn't mean it's going to cost you less, okay? So I have friends and family that are customers of ours or live far away, etc., that trust us with some of these advising decisions, now, what happens when you go through the process? Typically, it's anywhere from four to ten vehicles before you find one that's good. What do I recommend before you even bring it to us? Is you call one of the advisors and said, hey, I'm looking at this car. Is it worthy of a pre-purchase inspection? It'll save you a headache of looking, trip, etc., and it'll save us a headache and, and uh, wasting your and my time looking at it. Now, I don't mean that in a bad way. Do I want to look at your cars? Yes. But if it's some of these cars on the bottom of this list that I'm talking about, I'm just going to tell you, no, don't waste your time. Keep looking. Should you choose to listen to that, I guarantee it's going to help you down the road. If you don't and you buy it anyway, you're going to pay the piper. Okay? That's just the bottom line. If you follow the process and you go three or four cars and you get discouraged and you quit bringing them in and you just buy the next one you think looks cool, you might as well have not brought me the first two or three, okay? And I'm just keeping it real with you guys. You have to stay the course, even though it's discouraging that you keep bringing us cars and we'll shoot down the first several normally. Every once in a while, you get it right out of the gate and you get lucky, which is awesome. But the folks that stay the course and don't get discouraged because we keep finding issues with these that is in your best interest typically find an awesome deal, and they get a good long-term car. And that's what it's about. So have I personally purchased cars that needed more work than they should have? Yeah, I've done it. And for me, the consequence typically isn't that I just, you know, I lose the money on the car. It's that I have to exhaust so much work resurrecting the vehicle 
to get it back to user user usable operating condition um that at the end of it i have spent as much if not more if i would have just went and bought you know something in good condition so even though the labor part of it is just my time which there is a value to that by the way um because i would like to spend my personal time not necessarily always working on junk that i bring home that nobody else could fix which has been my hobby and pastime for many years Thankfully, I enjoy and love the industry of what I do, so it's not as bad. But, uh, you know, I'd like to spend that time with my family, my kids, Stacy, etc. You know, do something together, whether we're going camping or whatever. And I want you guys to do the same thing because it may not be your time you're giving away, in my case, but you have traded your dollars for your time and you have to pay somebody else to do it. So you've got to work overtime or extra commission or whatever it is you got to do. So it still comes down to doing this right so you don't have to sacrifice and make it up. And please don't make some of the, uh, you know, pay the piper or some of the uh, decisions that I've made. I'm hoping to share those experiences completely unfiltered with all of you guys. So you know it does happen. And I'm sharing all this with you to kind of validate how devoted we are to this. Do we have a crystal ball and we have that magic box that tells you everything that's wrong with the car? That doesn't exist. I don't care what you see as seen on TV. You cannot plug this thing into your car and look at your phone and it's going to tell you everything that's wrong with it. Someday, maybe that's true. And I assure you, I will be the first one to tell you all that. But right now, we as a company and me as an individual and the rest of our technicians as a team devote our almost entire existence to being correct and going through the checkout and diagnostic and testing process so when we know what's going on with the car we can educate you bring you up to speed and you can make the right informed decision as well never do i want to just plug into a car and say hey it needs this part and i'm the best guesser in town because unfortunately that's what you all experience a lot you go to the big box parts store you go to a shop that is outdated and not current and they throw parts at it and they tell you, oh, you know, it needed this part and this part affected this part and this part affected that part. And before you know it, you've put all kinds of crazy parts on there. Wouldn't it be nice to, before you make a financial decision, whether it's a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars, you had a good health check and, and standardized condition of the vehicle before you spent much on it. That's no different than when you go to the doctor, they check your vitals. And that's really where this mindset came from. You cannot make a decision for large or invasive repairs until the health and evaluation of the vehicle has been done first. Okay? You go to the doctor, they want blood pressure, pulse, temperature, and I'm sure my medical professionals know all the rest of it. But before they go in for surgery, you have to pass all those tests first. They don't want to do anything, you know, that is going to be a waste of uh, their time and your money. But we need to take one more break. We'll continue the list right after this. You guys are lucky. I just about burst into my karaoke version. One of my favorite jams, by the way. So let's wrap up some of this uh, other ones that you should look at and shouldn't look at. So... Uh, late model, late 2000s Acura, the RL, TL, kind of similar body style. Those are very, very good cars. Typically, the owners usually take good care of those as well. 
Uh, Lexus ES, the RS300 as well, which is the sedan and SUV. Similar uh, drivetrain, which basically means engine transmission packaging. Typically very, very dependable. So those are definitely a must look at. Any of your Infinity. Infinity is uh, kind of a luxury side of Nissan. I'm definitely a big fan of the Infinity setup. Not a huge fan of Nissan, I'll be honest. Um, I really don't uh, enjoy the engineering that goes into a lot of them. I've owned some older Nissans, like mid and late 90s. I really liked. They were awesome. Uh, so don't, I'm not totally hating on them, but, you know, after like 05, 06, uh, definitely went in another direction. I don't know whether they got rid of some of the engineers and they got new folks. I don't know what happened, but uh, really, really took a, a backwards uh, direction in my opinion. But Infinity, I'm a big fan. If you can find one of those, typically it'd be worth looking at. Buick, uh, Buick LaCrosse. I know I was kind of hating on Buick, but still that one's a pretty good one. The Saturn Outlook came up on this list. Now, the Saturn Outlook is a decent rig, and you can get smoking deals on them. There's a lot of good deals out there. It is a GM drivetrain, but Saturn is out of business. So if you need anything proprietary that would have to be dealer level that didn't come out on another maker model, you won't get it. So be careful buying any older Saturns. Um, you may get into a situation where you need something, and it's just not out there. Um, God forbid it's a failed part that you won't even be able to find it used. Uh, not been all that long ago, the infinite wisdom of cash for clunkers, they crushed a lot of those cars. Uh, and not just Saturns, but a ton of good cars that you used to get parts for that just don't exist anymore. Uh, I talked about the Lexus. Toyota Tacoma. You're looking for a pickup. Definitely Tacoma is a great, great truck. The GMC Yukon. Uh, definitely like that. I mean, that's the GMC version of the Tahoe and Suburban setup. But the Yukon, definitely, probably, if I was going to choose one or the other, it would be that. A lot of similarities, so I'm not just saying don't buy the Chevy version. But um, the Yukon, I just like the way they look better. I mean, just to, to bust it down to simplicity, aesthetically, they're kind of my jam. So I'm definitely a fan. The Honda CRV. If you don't have that at the top of your list of things to look for, that is a rocking little SUV. Honda Pilot, I'll put that in there as well. Definitely good options. And the Honda Civic, uh, definitely like those as well. Pretty simplistic, will allow you to uh, you know kind of neglect them a little bit and still keep on trucking. They won't typically leave you stranded unless you do something really egregious. So what do you want to stay away from? I left off with the Jetta. Uh, not totally hating on the Jetta, but just uh, be mindful. They're not going to be as inexpensive to work on as a domestic or an Asian-style vehicle, and they're going to be in the shop more. You're also going to find less qualified technicians to work on them. That's the other thing is, is everybody in your area capable of working on XYZ? You know, if I live out in Colorado and I drive a Subaru, most shops around there are going to be pretty darn good at Subaru. Not all the shops around here are great at Subaru. I really enjoy them. I've got several technicians that own them or have owned them and enjoy working on them. So uh, I'm a big Subi fan, but not every shop is. Not every shop knows and understands the intricacies of working on those vehicles. Um, but that should be on my list as well. I would definitely consider looking at a Subi. I didn't talk about any of those. Uh, the next one is the Cadillac Escalade. Um, not totally a hater on those. Um, the electrical systems on those are a little bit more finicky. Uh, 
They uh, the later models went to a MagnaRide system, which is a electrically manipulated fluid that controls the ride quality of the vehicle. Now, is it really cool? Yeah. Anybody that's seen Terminator back in the day, it's not quite at the Terminator level. It's it's not going to try and hunt you down. But um, I digress. It is an a electrically manipulated fluid, which is really cool until it doesn't work anymore. And then it it basically stiffens up and rides like a lumber wagon. Uh, there is zero suspension at that point in time. And it is costly because that's not a mainstream suspension design. So if you're going to buy some of these cars, like if I was going to buy, say, a Jetta or a uh, Escalade, or the next one is an Audi Q7, uh, I actually am a big Audi fan. I would not buy these used. If you can't afford to buy them new, don't buy them is the main thing. If you do buy them used, you need to get them from the first owner who bought them new and paid, you know, top dollar for them and loved those vehicles and took care of them. Um, Don't buy them from the third or fourth owner or a buy here, pay here car lot somewhere and think you're getting a good ride. It's just not. So if I want one of those cars, you know, and you think, man, I'm the worst guy ever, because I'm hating on something that you just absolutely love, or you've got one that's taking good care of you, that's cool. Um, just know the more it trickles down away from the original owner, the more problems that you're going to encounter. Uh, one of the next ones that I would never buy new is the Fiat 500. I would not buy one of those new. They are a disposable economy car, in my opinion, and when they break down, uh, after hundred-ish thousand miles, if you're lucky to get there, which is out of warranty, by the way, uh, they'll be so costly and uh, just not worth fixing. You're going to throw it in the trash and lose out on all of your investment. This next one's a little controversial. It's the te- uh, Tesla Model X. Uh, Tesla is, and I'm not hating on Tesla. They've done some neat stuff. They have really pushed the envelope. Um, the Model X, as far as like acceleration and power and fun to drive, is absolutely a monster. Um, some of the other models of Tesla where you can basically order the car to pull up, uh, you know, it can be in a parking lot somewhere. You can push a button on your app and the car meets you at the door after you've had uh, dinner. Is super cool. So like I said, they're, they're doing some neat stuff. What I have a problem with Tesla is, and especially the Model X, which was one of the first generations, so inevitably it's plagued with flaws, is the the reason as an independent automotive repair facility, such as A1 Custom Car Care, or whoever it is that you go get your vehicle repaired at, other than the dealer, they have to share their information, their software, their special tooling, They have to open it up so we can purchase it, use it, and do the repairs due to the Right to Repair Act, which is actually law that says, hey, you basically can't have a monopoly on fixing and repairing this car. Otherwise, you and I would be over a barrel, and we would have to do and pay whatever it is they say that we should do and pay because there is no free market at that point. They have, hence, the monopoly. So the Right to Repair Act came out many years ago, well before my time, and as a result, A1 Custom Car Care was born. We can service and work on your car at dealer level or above. Here's where the the uh, the curveball comes in for all electric vehicles. They are not sanctioned 
by the Right to Repair Act. That is encompassed by the internal combustion gasoline or diesel powered uh, as far as the legislation or the, the law was written. So they do not have to play by those rules. So if you own a Tesla, and I don't know about you, but there's no Tesla dealerships here in Springfield that I'm aware of, they do not have to, nor will they, because I've called and tried, sell you parts, give you information, or help you in any way, whether you're the consumer or you're an independent repair shop. So if you have a Tesla, you go to Tesla, you do whatever they say, you pay whatever they tell you to pay, and you smile and you go away. Until you get sick and tired of that, and then you go somewhere and typically trade or sell that. So do I think it's going to be that way forever? No. I mean, the Right to Repair Act will, you know, I'm sure they're working on it now. I'm not uh, I'm not a lobbyist by any means, but I guarantee somebody's working on it to make sure that you have some options as popular as Tesla is starting to get. The next one is a Mercedes GL. Uh, Mercedes just across the board. If you want a Mercedes, buy it new lease the vehicle, and then when the lease is out, give it back. Um, do not buy one used. Uh, the Jeep uh, Grand Cherokee, the regular Cherokee Classics, huge fan. Those things are awesome. I would buy one in a heartbeat, even in a box. Do not buy the Cherokee, or the Grand Cherokee, rather. Not an, not an awesome one. Any Mini, uh, which is a diversion of BMW, Mini Cooper, Mini countryside, whatever it is, those are just a disaster. The cost of ownership is horrible. The closest place I think I can get parts for them is Tulsa, which I have to do from time to time. Don't do it. Um, the Dodge Charger, Challenger, um, same engine platform. You need to avoid them. Uh, they have so many cylinder head problems. They're cool cars, um, but they just, the cost of ownership, eating camshafts, Losing lifters, cylinder head problems, just really, nah. Chrysler PT Cruiser, GM 3.6, and anything that's a Dodge with a 3.6. I guess that shows us that the show's over. Hopefully, this helped you all out there. If I left anything out, call the shops. Talk to one of our folks. They'll get you hooked up. Have a safe weekend. Be an informed consumer. We'll be back next week from 10 to 11.